Hello there and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and spider mites have completely taken over my favorite vine, which I'm trying to recover on my balcony. So that's that. Today I'm chatting with Eugene Fong, who I met at the animated TV show pitch workshop I did last month at the Toronto Animated Image Society. Now, what's interesting about this chat is that Eugene is not himself an animator or even in the animation industry in any aspect. Instead, he does global supply chain as his day job, but he's currently researching everything he can to make the jump into animation, something I did just a few years ago. So in our chat, you'll hear us talk about the risks of switching careers, our plans on how to do it, and the shock and approach Eugene is currently undertaking. This is a really interesting chat if you yourself are thinking of switching careers into animation right now. Now, besides all this, Eugene used to run the Toronto Role Players Association, and he's currently a published author with two children's books under his name. But first, this episode is brought to you by Arcane, the acclaimed Netflix animated TV series that is for your consideration in two Emmy Award-nominated categories, Outstanding Animated Program and Outstanding Sound Editing for a Comedy or Drama Series and Animation. Arcane is produced by Riot Games in partnership with Fortiche Production and is the winner of nine Annie Awards, the most of any TV series or film this year. Now, without further ado, let's jump in. Well, hello, Eugene. Thanks Hi. for Hi. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing today, Terry? I'm doing fantastic. It's the summer. It's uh, a nice day outside. I kind of wish I was outside right now, but oh well. <laughs> so, okay. We, we met at uh, a workshop that I did on how to pitch a TV show. And then we chatted a little bit and now you're on the podcast. So maybe, why did you want to come on the podcast? Just question, question for you. Well, you actually answered some of it right then there because learning how to pitch uh, projects to studios and whatnot was absolutely my goal. And I'm chasing every avenue, which teaches me more. Interesting. And, and so I know you are the expert. In fact, you've, you've done some incredible stuff. You've won some contests, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I won um, the Toronto Animated Arts Festival International pitch competition twice, with two different pitches. And I won the Ottawa International Animation Festival once with one one pitch. <laughs> so yeah, I won some pitching competitions. Um, I have pitched to any broadcaster you can imagine. Actually, not every single one. I think I think I still haven't pitched to Apple or Amazon. I think there may be two left. And um, I have an option deal signed with a production company for one of my pitches that we are working on some stuff behind the scenes, which is really exciting. Wow. Um, yeah. That's and I actually incredible. have a pitch meeting tomorrow. <laughs> so there's that too. <laughs> Holy cow. And is how much time do you dedicate towards actually the pitch projects themselves? Oh my like, goodness! You mean you mean like the pitch bible package where you know yeah. got all the art and oh gosh, um, that's a good tons of time. I mean, the re most recent pitch that I did for Waste World, uh, it's an idea that was kind of running in my head uh, since 2016. That I that even before I got into animation that I had. Um, so it was kind of in my head all that time. And then when the Toronto, the Taffy conference was coming up with their pitch competition, I think in September of 20, 
21, I decided to actually put my ideas on paper. I started in, I think, uh, May of that year, uh, just kind of casually putting stuff down, went really hard on it in July and August, um, took some time off from work to do that. And by the end of August, I submitted it. So I'd say that one took a good I don't know, like maybe a month overall of just full-time working on it, just spread over a while. Cause you know, it's, um, <clears throat> it's got all the art that I would just sit on my couch doing on procreate on my iPad for hours. Uh, you know, that includes all the exploration of the world and the characters and trying to figure them out and going back and forth with getting feedback on them. And then also, uh, pitching it to random people like friends and family and getting their feedback and what was confusing to them. And then when I got accepted into the festival as a finalist, you know, so much more work is done on refining the pitch and practicing it over and over and getting it in the time slot. So I'd say like a month full time is probably a good, a good estimate for that pitch itself, I guess. A month doesn't sound like a lot of a huge amount of time to me. I can totally understand putting a lot more time into a picture. Really? Really? I mean, like 30 days full time, like nine to five is, I'd say that's a lot of time, no? <laughs> uh, I have a tendency to write via all-nighters. I have a tendency to sprint that way. So yeah. uh, Okay, okay. I, well, <clears throat> so, okay. So you wanted, backtracking a little bit. You wanted to come on the podcast to, correct me if I'm wrong, learn more about the industry? That is correct. Interesting. So this is a grill, a grill Terry time instead of a grill Eugene time. Correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> okay. Well, you can definitely grill me, but I want to, you know, for those who don't know who you are, I just want to shed some more light on who you are and your background and what your goals are. So can you explain to me, you know, you're not in animation actually right now. What, what are you currently doing? And then why do you want to get into animation? So my role is in business optimization and that is for an international distributor wow so uh international distribution is just simply ordering stuff from around the world and getting it to a place in time for them to use it and so it's a lot of timing it's a lot of uh making replacements and finding new parts where they're missing or not usable and it's a lot of communication is required so this is something, this is like your nine to five job and you've been doing this for. I've been with the company for seven years. Okay. And okay. so did you go, did, did you go to school for like supply chain management or, or like international or anything? No, like that? No. No? Uh, I went to school for actuarial science. Wow. I, I studied mathematics and statistics, like no, no tomorrow. Oh my and goodness. When I graduated, I ended up stumbling into telecom because telecom was all the rage back then. And telecommunications from there ended up shifting over to a couple other ideas. I ran my own company for a short time hmm. and that wasn't working out so well and ended up into uh, distribution. Wow. So, so, so <laughs> pretty direct career path or not direct career path, but what I'm, I guess like not anything animation specifically at all, but you're also a super creative guy on the side. You, you were, uh, you ran the Toronto Role Players Association. You did D and D competitions. You were a big person in that kind of scene for a while. You also write and, you know, you've got this creative 
you've got all these creative juices flowing that you're looking to export. Into. There, it definitely is the uh, a creative outlet really helps you find uh, energy in doing yeah. the other things in life. I imagine I, I can only describe it as that. Uh, I find that I have I have to create things. And it's not some kind of, oh, I wish I could. It's more of along the lines of, I really want to do this. I, I got to get it yeah. out there. And be, I guess it's because of my Dungeons & Dragons background. I really want to share an adventure with other people. And sort of, if I can bring them into a story or give them a tale that they can think about later, that, that's my real life goal, you know, to, to take people out onto an adventure that they enjoy. Amazing. I love that. So would, would you say that life goal of bringing other people on an adventure is something that is pushing you to get into animation specifically, or what is your interest with animation and getting into it? And what are you doing to make that happen? Well, one, I really love the freedom that animation brings as much as CGI and what people can do with cameras today is really top notch. uh, Animation still remains to be like uh, an anything field. Anything can happen and it won't cost you an arm and a leg ideally, right? And so it definitely looks incredibly interesting. And the people that I've met in the industry have been incredibly friendly, which is amazing. And so uh, the more I learn about it, the more I might be leaning towards it. That's uh, how it's turning out. Now, in in that regard, what what brought you towards animation and not some other creative venture? Well, I mean, it sounds like we were kind of similar. You know, I had a I had a degree in business. I started out as a market analyst, then got into brand management, then got into digital marketing, and then ended up in SEO, search engine optimization. Um, but same as you, uh, all throughout my career, I just had to produce something creative. I I was actually, I actually did stop motion uh, animation when I was in high school and then a little bit in university, but I decided that wasn't a career path because there was just nothing going on in Toronto. Well, there was some things going on in Toronto, but there wasn't any viable, uh, stable career paths that I could see in that. So I made this, I remember like specifically even just making a mental note being like, I'm going to put this big wall up on stop motion to stop myself from doing it because I would literally come home from high school every day and make something in stop motion. Over the course of a couple of years, I made something like 60 short stop motion films. I made a 10 minute film in stop motion. I made two, three minute films. I was like doing film competitions. Uh, Like everybody, all the films would be like live action and I would do like a stop motion film. And I actually won three of them, which was amazing in like high school. But because I was just like going to town and it was like, I don't know. It's just, I was living in this stop motion fantasy land. That's all I wanted to do. I actively put up this wall and said to myself, I'm never doing this again because there's no career path in it. And if I open this up, like there's, it's going nowhere. So putting up that wall just uh, forced my brain to go into other creative outlets. I wrote a novel, a fantasy novel. Really? Um, I like made this giant clay horse sculpture in my living room. I made like <laughs> an eight foot by five foot acrylic painting of this giant cube with these chicken heads like bursting out and shooting lasers at crystals. Like I was writing short stories. I was 
painting. Uh, like I was doing, I picked up, I would just, I have like a whole craft cupboard because I was just making crafts all the time. I was just doing like anything I could that wasn't stop motion. And I just couldn't stop myself from it. So that's, <laughs> that's what I was doing when I was in business. And then I reached a point where I was like, well, if I can get this far in business, what can I, what can I do? How far can I get if I actually go back to my love of animation and see what happens? So uh, I kind of forgot the question you asked me, but that's <laughs> hopefully the answer that you were looking for. That's, that's, that's an answer. And that's all that's needed. That's all that's needed. But what, what brought you towards pitch competitions then? Oh, right. You asked me why animation. The animation thing was because I, I fell in love with animation when I was a young kid. And getting back to the roots of that just kind of opened the floodgates of enjoying and pursuing it once I went to Sheridan College for animation. Uh, why pitches? Because um, I don't know. I, I've always really loved coming up with ideas that... I guess are my own, uh, just like my my novels and my stories. I really love exploring ideas and coming up with my own unique style and and stuff like that. And the pitches is kind of a way to kind of play the lottery with my <laughs> ideas, I guess. Like I love working on productions, but I I have stopped myself from working uh, on like big productions, I guess, because I am afraid of becoming kind of a cog in a machine where I really value and feel most um, most in what I should be doing when I'm also participating in the idea itself and like kind of, what am I trying to say? I really like to do my own stuff, even if it's with other people, but I don't want to do something that's just somebody else's idea and I'm just executing it, I guess. So for me to pitch things is a way for me to try to make something that I've created happen that I can work on. And it would be a dream come true if, if uh, you know, one of my shows gets screenlit and I'm suddenly the director or the showrunner or just involved in it somehow, I would absolutely love that. So I never really thought, I mean, I don't know, I grew up as any kid just like drawing video game levels and like stories that I thought would be cool and like oh what I have this really cool idea for a movie what would like what if it what how do I make it happen as just one person you know so pitches is kind of like a shot in the dark and one in a million if it happens it can happen and then I'm also in the animation industry working my way towards maybe making that happen anyways so it would just be like this fast forward thing for me and I Never thought of pitching until I attended the Taffy conference one year and saw the pitching competition. And they have like two pitches go head to head in front of an audience. And then there's a panel mm. of judges from the industry and they vote and then they pick the winner. And then the winner gets like a prize. Sometimes it's monetary. Sometimes it's uh, free software. Oh, but wow. immediately, you know, all the people at the conference see their pitches and then there's producers and, and developers that see it. And uh, I was, I saw this pitching competition. I was like, oh, dang, I should do this. This is great. So then I did it the next year. <laughs> well, I can tell you this much. Uh, when, and during the class that you taught, uh, there's so many on the spot moments where you essentially took whatever you were talking about and turned it into an automatic pitch that you <laughs> shared with the class. And I was like, that was like an incredible reflex. Like that was uh, amazing to watch. 
was that something you trained for or were you always good at like are you a natural I, salesman or i no i think i think it's a well thank you first of all and just for if you're listening and you're a little bit confused i ran um uh in toronto the toronto animated image society runs workshops on various things and i ran a, a workshop on how to pitch how to create and pitch a uh, animated TV show from scratch. Um, so Eugene was one of the lovely people who attended and, and it was awesome, you know, hearing your pitch about, uh, <laughs> it was the bubble tea, right? The bubble tea. The bubble tea, <laughs> and, uh, the bubble tea, world. Bubble tea versus yeah. the bland <laughs> coffee. Uh, <laughs> loved it. Um, no, it's, uh, it's definitely a skill I've had to, develop as with anything so with my business background you know i i think that gave me uh because even in business school you know you have to pitch your ideas you have to go and present a business case constantly um and then in the real world when you're actually in a business you have to you know you have a marketing plan you have to pitch it to the salespeople, and you have to pitch it to your vp and you pitch it to the ceo and then uh that just helps me get uh, feel more comfortable with it. I don't think I'm an expert, but I just feel comfortable with uh, taking an idea, maybe refining it to something that is a bite-sized thing that somebody can handle and understand and then giving it to them. And also, you know, pitching itself is a nerve wracking experience. Even when I was pitching to you guys, like I was shaking and I had practiced beforehand. And, <laughs> Couldn't tell. Couldn't well, tell at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was super nervous and sweating, <laughs> but uh, I think that's how it always should be. I think you should always be nervous. Otherwise, you just, you know, you don't want to be bored at, at what you do. <laughs> oh, fair. So it's definitely a skill that I've picked up over years. And also running this podcast. I mean, I just published episode 170 something. Speaking on the spot is is definitely something that I've had to develop as well. But um, anyways, I'm, I feel like you were just interviewing me at this point. I still want to talk a little <laughs> bit more about you. Okay, so you are in supply chain and distribution. Mm -hmm. You've been in this for quite a long time. However, long you know, sorry? Long enough. Long enough. <laughs> I mean, seven years at your current job, that's that's quite a significant amount of time. I, uh, like, that's a, that's a career right there. <laughs> uh, you've been doing something, yeah. you know, you've, you've developed a career in this field. And you've also been creatively exporting yourself in different areas, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and then you're working on a script right now, I believe, for a feature film. Is that true? Well, ideally, I switched. First, I switched over to books. And books, written, right, right, right. I'd written two children's books, uh, published them during the pandemic era. Yeah. Uh, so last year, this year. And uh, as I studied writing, I really wanted to improve my ability to tell a story. And so I ended up taking a lot of courses uh, at oh, wow. Second, Second City, the University of Toronto. Uh, there was one more. But Which I, one did you take at U of T, University of Toronto? Uh, U University of Toronto was a novel writing course, um, finishing your novel, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, was it run by uh, Carolyn Sweet? No. Sorry, Caitlin Sweet. Sorry, Caitlin no. Sweet. Caitlin Sweet. Okay. Because I took a I took a, a novel writing course at U of T that was run by Caitlin Sweet. So I was oh, really? Maybe That's amazing. Maybe we took the same course. Uh, no, <laughs> but it's possible. It's just simply different instructors. Uh, I can look her up right now, but I 
Mm, I'll save it another time. That's okay. So, okay. So you, you got, you, you're learning more about writing. Right. And uh, during that period, it just made me really, what the heck was I talking about now? You threw me off course. So, so, okay. So you've, you've been in a, <laughs> you've been in a completely different industry, developed a career in there, you know, sense of stability, you've worked your way up and mm-hmm. so you've been in there for quite a while. Why, like, what is compelling you at this point of your life to think about switching things up potentially oh i see uh definitely i enjoy the challenge of it i enjoy the studying of the of the industry itself it's always been magical to me it's something that like you as you would say grew up with and having a back i have a background in theater i've done theater for over 20 years and uh honestly that was the only place a guy that looked like me could be on stage and be in front of an audience and as time went by, uh, people began to open up to new ideas and finding new faces, right? Now, it's, I'm a long, long way, far, long shot away from ever being on camera myself. But if I can create stories that I can share and create content that people will be, you know, interested in seeing, I would gladly do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, there is some kind of, special joy in creating something and then watching someone else laugh at it or watching other people, you know, enjoy something that you've done. And that's like that. Oh, a hundred percent. It's, it's human connection. Like the feeling, like, I love that. The feeling is like, it's like nothing else. And it's, you just want more of it forever. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now for your ideas that you use for the pitch competitions, were they, were these your personal favorite ideas or did you develop them for the contest themselves oh goodness the first one this here i am wanting to ask you more questions and you just you just cut it and ask me a question that's fine (laughs) i love this um the first one the silly duck wizard that i did uh i i i literally saw that the pitch competition was coming up and I had completely forgot about it and when it was due. And I think I even might have submitted it after the due date, but I put the pitch, I put my pitch Bible, which was a two-page PDF that I drew together the night of. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh dang, Whoa. I have to, I have to, I forgot to apply to this and I need something. And I have this short film that I made. Mind you, I had made a short film. It was a minute and a half long. So I based, I came up with the idea and I got my brother to look out over at like 11 p.m. And then he gave me some feedback, I think. And then I submitted it at like midnight. And then literally three days later, they're like, we picked you because it was, and I, I asked why, like, you know, you had so many submissions. Why did you pick this? And it was so last minute and et cetera. And the answer I got was it just looked super unique and kind of stood out versus the other ones, I guess. Huh. which which worked to my benefit because like the the second pitch i put together for waste world you know i've i i did it kind of the more traditional route i created a whole world and character to character interactions and like plot etc but for silly duck wizard i literally was like here's a short film that i made it got some attention online and i have some here's you know i um I put it together kind of as like a children's storybook, like his arc nemesis is pizza wizard and they battle and he has three ducks and they're, they have personalities. And that was like, basically it, it was kind of, I guess it was so 
different and out there that it somehow caught their attention. I think it was mostly because of the short film that I had put together. Is that why you think you won? Is because it was strictly because it was original? Maybe, or? maybe. I mean, when I when I actually uh, because you have to submit like your pitching materials to them, and then you uh, once they accept you, then you have to put together a presentation. But the idea, how I pitched it actually to the conference and the audience and the judges is I actually kind of wrote a whole storybook, had no, um, put no words in it and just drew the pictures as I was taking you through uh, a sample episode of the Silly Duck Wizard. And I don't know, I think I think I won because my concept was very easy to, to digest. Uh, I tried to make it super entertaining and engaging the whole way as as I was just telling you a story um, instead of instead of like diving into the nitty gritty of what it could be, I guess. And mind you, the, the Taffy conference that I first pitched at, I think you're only allowed six minutes to pitch it in front of the whole conference, which is not a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And the other pitch that was, you know, a phenomenal pitch. We're still good friends. We you know, they have a they they like uh they had this big world. It was a serialized thing. It was called Weird Woofs, whereas uh, these these dogs, these kids that turn into dogs to solve mysteries. And I think, I think mine was just so simplistic and easy to digest in six minutes. Versus, you know, they had a complex world and episodes and arcs, which was super fantastic. But I think just from a from the perspective of I don't know. I, who's this? Who's who's to say why? Why not? Guess it's up to the judges. <laughs> Absolutely, and sometimes judgment judging can flip go the other side just as easily. I understand that, but no, you you were definitely tapped into something to have that type of record that you're able to do it. Like, I... well, to, to short short answer to your question is the first time I just dove in with something that I already had that I thought, why don't I? take something I have and put it, put a pitch around it and see where it goes. And the second time with Waste World, I was like, let me use everything I learned from pitching this other project around for a year to every network possible, getting tons of feedback, talking to development people, getting it optioned, you know, even developing it even further. Let me take everything I've learned in that and then create the second pitch. So, but let me ask you this, you know, you see the, you see this animation industry is like this magical place, which hundred percent it is, you know, Grow, you watch a movie and you're like, how did this happen? And then you see the credits yeah. and there's like 400 people involved and you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So you see, this, you see this industry as a magical place and you see maybe your entry point as a pitch itself. Is that is that what you're thinking? Well, actually, one of the things I had done is I had written some people in various other industries, uh, television, and some had worked on movies and just simply asked them, well, how did you get there? And well, yeah how how does one get involved into this type of thing right and one of the most common responses actually was oh the things you want to focus on is trying to become a showrunner you want to mm. focus on being that guy who you know essentially creates the show yeah. right so if there was a place if there was a, a single point that they all sort of converged on the best place to be is to be the showrunner to be the producer right and yeah, that's that's super interesting to me. From one perspective, that's exactly what I like. I guess so. Okay, um, there are different roles when you're creating a show. You know, you have the executive producer who 
budgets and timeline and everybody involved and they you know they're also talking with the people who have the money and getting things approved and saying like you can and cannot do this um then you have the director who is you know uh, approving the the shots and the style and working with the animation team and the animation supervisors and like you know working with all of those people and the voice actors and the writers, et cetera. Then you have the showrunner who is kind of doing a little bit of everything. They're working with the, 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 the writers, they're coming up with the ideas, they're saying the style of the show. Um, then you have the writers who write the episodes. And, and depending on the production, all of these people can be completely siloed. You know, the director is not involved in the writing, the showrunner is not involved in the writing, but maybe has some say. Or, you know, the writers are super in, I don't even know what I'm saying at this point, <laughs> but I guess it's interesting for me that you want to be the showrunner because that's like the hardest thing to become basically from, at least from what I've learned, because you have their network or the broadcaster relying on this person to know what they're doing. And this person should have like a lot of experience in running productions because an animation pipeline is kind of the, the hardest thing to uh, make flow in a production because, you know, you have voice actors and writers and storyboard artists and editors and animators and so many people involved. And to get this, what's called the pipeline flowing very fluently is a very tough thing. So you want the showrunner to have super experience in knowing how it should go. And while also, you know, working with the producers and keeping things creative and not formulaic and all these things. So so I've got a question then. When you work or when you do your work now, do you find yourself wearing multiple hats? Do you find yourself delving into a whole bunch of things and that sort of like gives you training across the board? Or do you find it do you find that your experience has been more siloed? It it depends on the production. Like right now I'm working on a video game. So I'm just I, I'm Ooh. a 2D animator on the video game. So I'm just 2D animating. Um so like I'm handing off my tie downs and then they go into the pipeline where they're cleaned up, they're colored, they're at their program, they're put in the video game, it's the voice acting. Like I'm not involved in any of that. I'm literally just working with the, you know, the, the creatives running the game to execute their vision with the characters and what they do in the 2D animation. So like, I'm pretty siloed right now, but I still have a lot of creativity in, you know, what happens with um, like, uh, not the storyline and stuff in general, but what the characters, you know, how their moves go, what they're doing exactly. I still have some creative and creativity and insight in that, but I'm not super involved in everything else. Whereas like other productions, I have worked with the director to, you know, storyboard and uh, animate and character design. And like, I'm doing a whole bunch of roles. Uh, and then in other roles, I'm literally just like, I was on a stop motion production where I just show up, I animate and I leave and I don't do anything else. I'm not involved in the characters, the lighting, but you get super exposure to all those things as well. And you kind of slowly begin wow. to understand how they work and you know how your work affects other people down the pipeline and how people before you, how their work affects you. And so you get a better sense of like what makes a good employee, I guess, to continue the flow and also what people are expecting of you. So. Now, this depends on the person I know, but do you ever find that working on other people's work takes away your time or energy to work on your own personal stuff? Like, oh, yeah. The amount of creative spoons. So I'm literally looking at, I have a, in my, on my kitchen counter, 
uh, have like an island and it's just covered in like stop motion uh like craft supplies and stuff and characters that i have been on put on hold for two months and i look at it i keep it out because i'm like today I'll, tonight i'll work on it but then after work i'm like oh i'm so tired i want to go for a walk the weather's nice like i'm meeting up with a friend or something i don't want to touch this so 100 percent, it impacts what i am able to do i know there are some people out there who just super kill it they go home from work and then they work till midnight every night on their passion project and for me it depends on I, I'm very deadline oriented, I guess. Mm -hmm. So if you told me this stop motion production is due by the end of the week, I'll finish it. Like no matter what. Like <laughs> so but since, like, since it has a very lenient deadline, because it's more of a it's a it's a it's it's a personal project that I'm involved with a group of artists on. Uh, we don't have super deadlines, so it's getting it's procrastinating on it. Well, how do you find that? How do you rebuild that energy? Because I've noticed that there seems to be two distinct types of people. Some people, they need to be supported. They need to have people to, you can do this. You're really good at what you do. Yeah. You know, keep it going. And other people are like, you have a deadline. This is going to fail if you don't do this. Uh, you got to get like, chop, chop, time is, time is limited. And you got to use the time that you have. You know, Definitely. it's so which side do you feel yourself leaning towards? Well, I'm going to ask you this right after put it back on you. But for me, it's two things. Number one is I'm super deadline oriented, orientated, oriented, okay. whatever. <laughs> Give me a deadline and I will hit it. Like I'm just that type of person. Um, so that is very motivating to me. But also the second thing is if I don't feel creatively fulfilled in my work, uh, the energy just builds up and I don't know what to do with it until I produce, if that makes sense. Okay. So thankfully I'm on a super, super cool project right now that I absolutely love. And I spent, I actually find myself like pouring a lot of my creative energy into that versus my person. Like, I don't, I don't feel a super need at the moment to export my own creative stuff unless there's a deadline for something. So when I was in my business job, that was very, not artistically it was creative in different ways but not artistically creative then i found myself like waking up at five in the morning to like watercolor just for myself wow. before work just because i needed i i had so much drive to export something out of me but for you you know you, you like your job is not artistically creative but you're oh. writing right now and you've worked on other things like what is what is your motivation to do those things yourself Ooh, that it's well, you know how people have that. People have a want and people have a drive. The two yeah. separate things, right? And uh, the the want of wanting to create something that uh, goes out to a big audience is like uh, a personal goal. You know, yeah. I, I want to be part of something like that. But at the same time, my own personal drive is that I just love being part of the process. I was always one of those type of guys that. I just like being there, you know, nice. like there's plenty of time from working on an event or a project. And, you know, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm part of this. Like, I just love the idea of being part of it and I don't need the spotlight. I just want, I just want to get it going, get it done. Right. I love and, that. and, uh, that has always been a combination of those two factors have just sort of constantly pushed me towards, uh, things that I can do. And writing is something that you can do by yourself. So that is like probably the easiest, don't need to cooperate, you know, with anyone, you don't need to work on anyone else's schedule. And then 
but my books are have animate not animations my my books have like pictures and like a huge amount of art in them and so that requires getting a lot of you know getting artists involved and getting feedback on that angle and getting feedback on the writing and doing my own form of testing so it's like just being part of that entire process i find to be very fulfilling in itself on top of having to do creativity right because yeah. creative stories are fantastic but you can only tell so much in a given story you can't tell all your creativity in one go otherwise it'd just be a crazy nonsense event right and so take the best story that you can come up with at the time and try to make it make sense and then you know move with it and then ideally project two and three you keep going yeah so okay so if you envision yourself all resources and opportunities are at your door and you can take any path you want correct me if i'm wrong you would be a writer for animation is that right absolutely if it was like you can have any role like a feature like a writer for a feature or something like that yes absolutely so when you say showrunner is that something you want to achieve or is that just something that other people have said like you might enjoy well to be honest it might be the only case because what if you when in terms of you're getting successful pitch projects where does that put you like you've just you just succeed, succeeded in making your pitch, yeah, and you suddenly have the arms of an entire studio willing to support your goal. So, I'd be executive producer, director, showrunner, animator, uh, and writer. <laughs> so I, no, I'm just there's kidding. an answer right there. That's that's kidding. a lot of hats to wear. So well, I would I would absolutely love to be a showrunner or director because I want. Like I want to, I want to work with people who are amazing writers. I want to work with amazing animators and like super creative people and people who like, I am not all of those things. I feel like my expertise comes in like, uh, like ideas and coming up with something that's a very unique style, I guess. So I want to work with people who are experts in their fields and just kind of be a part of, and maybe like influence what we're doing. I just, I'm just excited about that. Like, for the Silly Duck Wizard, if that takes off as a show, like I don't want to write the episodes or, you know, I'd love to animate some, but I don't want to be like the main animator at the end of the day. Like I created what I think is like a great concept and I want to work with a team who like loves the idea and brings it to life in their own way. Like I, I want it to evolve with how people want it to, to where they take it. And I just, so I just think that's exciting. So, okay. So for, for Silly Duck Wizard, yeah. what would the ultimate goal be then? Or the oh, like, yeah, you've reached your peak. This is the greatest. My thing ultimate goal would be to walk into a toy store and see somebody buying the duck plushies for their kid who's absolutely obsessed with them. That's my goal. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like if, if that is somewhere in the future, I would be, I will be over the moon happy. Like, like, kind of how I'm approaching the industry is like, it's like I've said it before, it's a lottery, you're spinning a wheel, it's a one in a million chance. If it happens, whatever way it happens, I'll be happy with it. I'll just be happy that I was involved in it somehow and I'll love it. Now, if if it happens where like, you know, somebody steals my idea, comes out with the Willie Duck Pizzard or something, <laughs> I'll be like, I'll be super <laughs> mad. <laughs> I won't like that. I won't like that future at all. <laughs> so, okay. So given any resource and opportunity, whatever, you would love to be a writer for animation on future Absolutely. Films. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just it's, 
the I like I love one of the great things about games and using games as a basis for writing is that it comes with established rules it comes with established character types mm-hmm. and essentially someone gives you a bunch of toys and says play with them right and taking those uh rules and concepts and using it to create your own unique story is absolutely yeah. like a thing right and so you so, were so you were driven to story because of dungeons or dungeons and dragons drove you to story i guess oh dog yeah, uh, sorry. He was just <laughs> on my lap. Here he is. <laughs> it's really, it's really changed and shaped how I create stories, hmm. right? Now, what's interesting is that that type of concept of thinking of how to think about stories uh, is sort of coming back around because people are using Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games to workshop their ideas. Hmm. Where essentially, you play this character, I'll play the other character. This is the scene. These are the rules that we have to abide by because this is the you know DD rules that whatever. And let's solve our you know conundrum, right? That's super interesting. I've never actually heard of that before. You know, that's kind of like a brainstorming session. So when you're running a campaign, you'll actually have like a writer be like, I actually like I'm just saying hypothetical, but like a writer who's like or figuring out an episode or something or something for their book will actually explore. Oh, uh it's something along those lines, but I'd, I'd be the guy who's doing everything, like you described there. As like, if you're running the game, you're probably the one taking the most notes as well. Yeah. And thinking about it, uh, like, before oh, and super after. interesting. Right? So, and then oftentimes you can just take a good idea, and yeah. it might not even be a fleshed out storyline, but like, I want to think about a world where alligators are giants and... They are roaming the countryside and whatnot. And then you can just literally create a game and just throw that in there and just see how people react. Oh my goodness. I love this. I want to do this. This sounds right. super, super. Cause like I just finished the pilot for Waste World, uh, the full script, which was tough, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I'm like, which idea should I pick? And like, how does it impact things? But like, I feel like just pitch, putting the world in, in like a D and D context and just being like, all right, you're this character. I'm this character let's see what happens is a super easy way to brainstorm instead of just like sitting down by yourself with a pad of paper being like, what can happen next? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're forced, you're forced to like tell a story. That's so interesting to me. Ah, okay. Okay. So, okay. So you would be an animation feature film writer and what, you know, you've written two books, which I think is amazing. Technically three, but I'm only proud of two of them. Okay. Well, you've <laughs> written three. You're proud of two. I, if if you don't hate some of your work, you can't be a real writer, right? Is is not is not. Right? Uh, I'm I'm certain when I look back, given enough time, I will hate all of my work. So this will be fine. That means you're just improving, which is just great. If you wrote yeah. one thing and we're like done, I'm good for life. This is amazing. You probably wouldn't be a great writer. Yeah. So now you're working on a full script. You know what stage? And you're also you said you're learning about the industry and kind of you took the pitching course, etc. What's what is your what is your like? plan i guess so you know you've written some books you're you're writing a script you're learning about stuff what is the what if you were to like stage out your plan to making you know eugene is the number one best uh feature animated animation writer in the world what are the next steps to get there well a lot of it is i can only describe as a shotgun technique or throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks so because... you're, 
because it is a combination of one i want to have my fully finished script that i'm really love but yeah. at the same time i know there are multiple competitions happening right now and i want to apply to those competitions and they're going to have separate uh specific rules or topics that they want covered so a lot of nights i will just write plots mm. i will just literally think of log lines and try to wow. figure out how what they are and just i've what i used to do it as a hobby actually as a, as a side interest just writing log lines and there's episode descriptions and when i hit like 250 or so of them i realized i should take one of these and write a book with it and that's how actually how i did my last book where i just simply took the one that i really liked and just uh kept going with it wow right. how long how long did the book end up being oh the, the book that's themselves are pretty sh- uh not long at all 30 pages 35 pages but it's also like it's kids book with drawings and whatnot yeah well Kids book would be a bit of a misnomer because I write them in the sense. Have you read Tintin? I have not, but I okay. I used to watch the show when I was a kid. Actually, right. I actually was a, a huge fan of the, of that series when I was younger. And uh, the books are written with an adult in mind. However, they're the pictures and the I want to call it animation, but the action scenes help describe what's going on uh, for a child to understand the nuances. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the language and the te- technology, in my case, I'm using, it's a sci-fi, so I use a lot of science in it. Uh, it's really meant like an adult would understand it better. Yeah. So ideally it'd be something that anyone of any age could read or reread in the future and still enjoy it. I love that. I, I personally, I personally have an opinion about content and it's, that it should be done the way you just described it. I think if, cause especially when you're, um, you know, you're, you're creating a pitch or a show or something. One of the biggest questions you get is like, oh, is it age appropriate? Or like, you know, kids, kids can only think in, in these terms or, you know, is the language you've used different language than we think it's too high. I don't, I don't buy that too much. I think everything should be written for somebody who is older, more intelligent. How, how am I trying to say? Like, <laughs> I think the best shows appeal to adults and kids, if that makes sense. Like Adventure yeah, Time no, or like Bluey, where like, it's a preschool show, but you, as an adult, you can watch it and appreciate the humor in it as well. Versus yeah. like, I think when you create something that's just strictly age appropriate, then it's just like curriculum in a school where it's like, you're learning it's like a see gym run run gym run type of scenario where it's like oh this is perfect for a a grade one year old but like there's no i don't know it doesn't i I see i respect the i respect that genre because it does need to exist in some capacity like little kids need to have a book that they can call their own sure absolutely but when it comes to the content that like we have a chance to create yeah then let's let's make it timeless right and that's the idea right and the so, best, I think the best things are like that. So um, let me ask you this. You wrote 250 episode ideas randomly with log lines mm-hmm. and you seem to enjoy that. Why not pursue uh, episodic writing for TV shows? You know, the idea has never come to me. <laughs> really? Really? Before this moment? Before this moment, no. Uh, because Again, I didn't even know that was a position. I didn't even know that was a job. Well, that yeah, every... Um, so yeah... Uh, 
like I've I've talked to I mean I'm not super versed on it I'm not a writer myself but I've had a couple of writers on this podcast where all they do is write episodes for tv shows and so oh, at least from I what I understand there's a head writer or a writing team of a tv show but to keep things fresh they'll often bring in guest writers or hire uh like maybe the writing team or the head writer will come up with uh the season's episode ideas or log lines and then they'll hire freelance or independents uh writers to actually flush out those log lines into full scripts so and and for instance like i had mikey heller on this podcast who's the head writer of we bear bears and he got his start because he was posting online comics and like jokes on twitter and stuff and then somebody from that project, We Bear Bears just loved his work and was like, hey, do you want to test out writing for an episode? And he was like, okay. And then they hired him and he ended up the head writer. So like, wow. there's definitely, you know, writing is super, I know it's super competitive and tough to find stability in because you might write for like three episodes on one show and then that's all they oh. contracted you for. And then you have to look for another show. So it seems, seems to me, unless you have a head writer or writer's team or like you're a writer at a studio kind of position it's pretty contract to contract basis but I guess anything in animations like that like for me I've worked on two video games this year and it's we're at what six seven months what, we're eight months into the year already so like cool. I have a job for a couple of months and I move on to something else for a couple of months so that's the nature of the is that what you would call the nature of the industry itself that generally it's contract based yeah, and yeah you're yeah. working from project to project and they're completely uh, totally. So, cause, cause like exactly like, you know, you're writing a script for a, a movie. Uh, once that say, say you sell the scripts, you become showrunner or whatever you want to be on the script, or you say, here's take the money and peace and write your next thing. You know, a studio will set up a whole team to execute that movie. And when the movie's done, they don't need that team anymore. So it's the same with TV shows. When a season's done, they don't need the team anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so a, they have a choice to, try to find work for all those people that were just working for them. So they'll, you know, studios will scramble to continue to get movies and TV shows in to have those same artists. Or they say, good luck. Thanks for working with us. And then those artists are sent back into the void of trying to find more work. <laughs> yeah, totally fair. Totally fair. How, how do you find yourself in that type of place? Do you find that you are searching for more work or have you had a point in time where people are, coming to you and saying, hey, you know, next project that you're on, when you come yeah. on board? Um, well, I've only been working professionally for a year and a half, really. I quit oh, okay. school last January um, to take a, a, a studio production called Ultra City Smiths that was only till July. So, um, so far I've worked on two TV shows, two video games, and a handful of random uh, social um, uh, promotions and advertisements and everybody has found me except for the one video game that I was working on earlier this year I found them and was like I have to work for you guys you're too cool I love you too much I've been following your work for too long and you're hiring <laughs> oh wow so I've been I've been very fortunate uh, but you know like I'm, I also kind of have a shotgun approach. You know, I went to animation school. I had this podcast. I'm meeting new people every week. I have my pitches. I created a short film called The Silly Duck Wizard. And The Silly Duck Wizard, uh, somebody found that on Reddit and then hired me to work on their show called Let's Go Luna. 
for that lasted about wow. a year actually huh. um i was working on that at the side while i was going to school and then that work directly led to ultra city smiths which i quit school to take on and that work directly led to no, that that work didn't directly lead to anywhere. It just helped with my portfolio. But um, stuff I'd done in school and the Silly Duck Wizard led to me working on a couple of social promos for various uh, one studio in the States called Cartoona, another one here in Toronto called Headgear. Um, and then stuff I had done on Let's Go Luna directly led to the first video game. And the second video game um, I got from a random connection I had from the podcast plus they had seen my work from all this other stuff. So it's amalgamation of just, you know, putting a ton of stuff out there and meeting people constantly and trying to do your best. <laughs> now, okay, I understand they're all great and they were all great experiences. We can, I can accept that. But which one gave you the most fulfillment? Which one really, like, you could see yourself revisiting all the time? Yeah. Um, oh, boy. That's a good cure. <laughs> This is, this is a great episode because I'm asking <laughs> no questions. <laughs> um, so uh, the show called Let's Go Luna, they uh, are a show, they're a 2D animated show on PBS that was done, produced by a studio called Brown Bag here in Toronto. And the point of the show is to take the characters who are part of a traveling circus to a different country in every episode and learn about that country's culture. In the middle of the 22-minute episode, um, they take a minute and a half to tell a folktale from the culture of the country they're visiting. And oh. to tell the folktale, they hire independent artists to um, completely envision and animate in their own style that folktale. So I was able to do four of them. So they basically hand me a script and say, interpret this however you like with your own style and you're basically the director, the designer, the storyboard artist, the editor, the animator, et cetera. So uh, two of the ones I worked on were from North America. One was from North America, one was from the States, one was from Sweden, and another one was from Ireland. Wow. So like, uh, they're all in stop motion. And I just had a time, you know, I got to design all the characters myself. I got to do all my, my own research to figure out, yeah, of course, like, you know, you're working with the showrunners um, who are amazing people, Joe Murray and Peter Hannon, who uh, Peter Hannon, he came up with Cat Dog, if you ever seen that. And Joe Murray yeah. came up with Rocco's Modern Life. So it was really cool working with them directly. Um, and they have to sign off on what you're doing, of course. But, you know, I got to design everything from scratch, build it all from scratch as well, animate it however I wanted it to, and then, you know, hand them the final product. So those were kind of rare opportunities where uh, I just I just could do my own thing, of course, within the confines of this, uh, the folktale. But it was just, it was basically a dream come true. It was super fantastic. So, yeah, I would take something like that again in a heartbeat. That is amazing. But you brought up an interesting point that you've met a lot of showrunners. Yeah. And is there a common trait that all of them have? Oh, boy. Um, common trait. I, I mean, I asked them all these questions. I would say, you know, they all uh, uh, one of the one of the things is they have to have a super strong vision because they're going to be attacked on all fronts. You know, the producer is going to say, we can't do that. We don't have the money. The broadcaster is going to say, you know, we don't approve this, or this is too raunchy, or this is this joke won't fly with kids, or 
um, whatever, then the animation department is going to come back and say, this is too complicated. Or com so you have to have a super strong vision and be able to know, to keep the heart of what you want to create, given that everybody is trying to um, change it in some way or whatnot. Because like, even when you, you know, you write an episode or it's storyboarded out, you send it, you have to send it off to the broadcaster for approval. And Ooh. whoever works there is going to be like, I don't like this for no reason. You don't even know. Or like, I like this. So you have to, you have to constantly be like, no, we're keeping the color of his shirt red because that's, <laughs> but honestly, it's stuff like that. Like the notes that I've heard people get are so silly. Um, I've gotten some notes before that were interesting that I didn't super agree with, but like, you just have to, you just have to know when to pick your battles and what actually is the heart of your show. So that you have to be a super people person because you're working with so many people, uh, not a people pleaser, but just like know how to manage people and time because like, you know, everybody's relying on you to know what to do and you're working with every department. So management, super strong vision. Um, yeah. And I would say, I've talked to some people who haven't had experience and some people who have had experience. And I think, I think it makes a better time if you have experience with the animation world, just cause you kind of know what's going on and what people need, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then, oh, and the last thing is that I've heard from everybody is like, it's no longer like your idea. It's everyone's idea. Like you can't yeah. be butt hurt over it changing or like it not being executed to the exact idea you had in your mind. Like, I don't know if you, you've, you've writing, so you've probably heard like oh. you have to kill your darlings, like that expression yeah. where it's like, you have to let things go. So that, that, that's part of the magic of the business. Yeah. Uh, I'd imagine because it is a, a cumulative effort where everyone is doing their own thing. And sure. It might be tweaked in a manner that might not be to what you had originally envisioned, but that might only make it better, right? And yeah, so yeah. there's that uh, opportunity where people come together and create something bigger than themselves, right? Totally, and unless you're like an Andy Warhol genius, something like Warhol. a one-man show, you can do absolutely everything. If, But uh, like, if you were that, then why do you even need, like, I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. Is that you? Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be the- No, Andy not at all. I, I. I like, I look at my stuff and I, I think I, I do well in like very short, here's a one line thing that I think is funny, but like turning it into like a 20 minute episode is I need help. I need a lot of help, <laughs> mm. but I, I specifically like, that's something that I thought about a lot when I was getting into this industry as well. Like, do I want to be a one man show in some, in some parts, like, yeah, I have a big ego attached to like, you know, I did this and this is my idea, but I specifically want, and it's part of why I'm pitching to studios. I want to work with people who this is what they do. I want to be part of something larger. I want to have a round table where we're discussing ideas and I'm not just in this silo of like Terry himself. So, okay, back to interviewing you a little bit. <laughs> I'm afraid we've gone too far. <laughs> we've gone too far. Okay. So, you know, you could, so you're, you're exploring what, where you might fit in the animation industry and your shotgun approach. So what, so what, is, what exactly is your shotgun approach and what is the end goal? Well, my, okay. My true end goal or my dream come true would be to uh, rent a movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And where that would come from 
is sort of based on where my like if i go in this direction and there's a barrier that says no or telling me i gotta go back for school for 10 more years then i might lean in a different direction and try a different route and a, a lot of it is uh trying to figure it out part of it yeah. like one of the questions i do have for you is that what would you do if you started from scratch and that's where i am as in yeah i don't know anyone in the industry right I've never talked to anyone on a professional level saying, Hey, by the way, I've got this script at home like that, or I have this pitch project I'm working with, you know, that type of idea. Uh, what's my, what would be the best way to take a step forward? What, what, what would be the way to show uh, a person to show themselves? Like, in totally. the most... so what? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I actually, uh, and, and I think you're further along. I mean, like at one point I told myself, I want to be a writer. And I knew that that was masked with the animation thing. And I, I pursued that until I realized that I should be an animator. So if you're, if you're like, if you look deep inside of you and know, and know for sure, like this is, this is my life passion. And this is the thing that I actually like want to pursue. Like, cause what am I, I'm trying to say that I thought I knew what I wanted with the business thing and whatnot. And I was pursuing a lot of things until I realized what it was with animation and things naturally started to happen. Once I kind of said yes to myself and I said, yes, this is what I'm going to pursue. And, and, you know, I started talking to people, I started actually putting it, doing animation and whatnot. So I think, I think you're further along already than you think you are. And I think if I were you right now, and I, I know that I want to write a movie for, for animation, I would just simply start connecting with people who've done it and talk to them. Um, so for instance, like when I kind of was unsure if I wanted to get into animation and become an animator, I started talking to people. I went to an animation studio. I, I, I got like approval from their HR and like sat down with like every single person that was in that studio. I took away their whole day, basically. I sat down with like 20 <laughs> different people. I'm sure they were like, who the fuck was that guy that just came in? Cause like nobody knew I was coming except for the one person who invited me. And then suddenly like, I just, people are working. I'm like, hi, my name is Terry. Can I sit down and watch what you're doing? And then I would just grill them and be like, how did you get into this? What would you advise? And so I asked every single person there and I'd say two thirds of them said, you have to go to animation school if you want to take this seriously. And one third said, screw animation school. They're going to teach you old ways. You can do this on your on your own by learning online. And so then I was like, okay, if people that are professionally doing this now and getting paid, and I've been doing this for years, are telling me that I need to a do learn on my own or go to school, I should probably take what they're saying very seriously and just do it. So I had a lot. I had about mm, I don't know, maybe six months of internal battle of being like. I'm 30 fucking years old. I don't want to go back to school. That's crazy. You get a four-year degree, like quit my job, go to school for four years, do nothing with the hopes that I might get into a studio. Like I can learn this on my own. And then the more I talked to people, I thought, you know what, if I want to take this seriously and actually like say yes to myself, who cares if it's four years? Like I'm 30 years old, I'll be 34. And if I end up in animation by the time I'm 34, I'll be super happy regardless. I'm going to be 34 at some point in my life anyways. So I might as well have done the thing that everybody said that I should do and go for it. Luckily, I got into animation school, et cetera. But I think you should 100% reach out to people who have done what you want to do and just say, hey, listen, 
uh, don't, don't say, hey, listen. Just be like, hey, hey, listen. My name is Eugene. <laughs> I super love what you do. I think it's amazing that you're writing for animation. And, you know, I'm writing myself and I'm a little bit unsure where to go. Can you can you just tell me what you did? And when I ask then, uh, who was your first mentor? Um, the first person that I ever reached out to, which is the person that brought me to this animation school, was her name was Christine. And I found her on LinkedIn randomly when I was searching for was searching for animators in Toronto. And I had no clue what I was looking for. This was back in 2017. I think, you just maybe? chose a random person on LinkedIn? I reached <laughs> out to a whole bunch of people on LinkedIn. And, and I was super... Because I think I said something like, hey... I'm thinking of getting into animation. I, I noticed you did animation. Do you mind if like, can we like meet up and chat or something? Which is no. really weird to like ask somebody as the first thing. <laughs> and nobody got back to me except for her. And we met up, we got coffee down by the waterfront, um, uh, by the harbor front. And she was super nice. We had very similar stories, which is why I think that she, she was in, um, she was working in a factory in, on the East Coast you know, doing kind of a factory job and just wishing she got into animation and then changed her life. And when she was a little bit older too, and, and, and it was amazing. And she's an animator now in Toronto and fantastic. And so just having her kind of take the time and share her story and, you know, allow me to come to her studio and see how everything ran, just kind of opened my eyes to like, that a real person can do it just like me because everything seemed like magic, you know, connections, like you said, connections happen, whispers happen, people get jobs, which a hundred percent is true. You know, Ooh. it's all about who you, it's not all about, but a lot of the times it's who a you know, you is. get a call from somebody and they're like, Oh, Hey, you know, we're friends. I like your work. Come on this, come on this job with me. Yeah. So, so in a way, this is one of those things where the, I don't know why I want to use this phrase, the snake eats itself, but because you end up meeting and talking to all these great writers, when it's time for you to need a writer, you suddenly have a pool of people that you can draw from. And therefore anyone else on the outside of that though, is sort of not locked out, but there's yeah. a, there's a barrier that's naturally created then because well, I, you, you end up garner, gathering so much talent already. Right. hundred percent. I mean, and, and if my career is kind of a testament to this, I've gotten jobs two ways. One is from making something that was super high quality and went viral and people saw it and were like, I want that. Like that was a silly duck wizard. Yeah. And so they like, like I said, like the director's assistant saw it on Reddit and then told the director and then he contacted me personally and said, we want you to work on our show. And that was amazing. Like super random. Right. And wow. then the second, the, the way that I've gotten all the other jobs, except for the one is that I just knew people from the podcast and talking and school and et cetera. Like, uh, I've just known people, even the workshop, you know, I knew somebody who Ooh. was at Teus and they reached out and said, Hey, do you want to teach a workshop on something? And I said, I'd love to teach when I'm pitching. Um, so a be part of the circle and B, you know, your shotgun approach, create something like, imagine you create a, a script and I don't know how I don't know how many people read scripts outside of people who are producing things, but like, you know, imagine you create a, a book and it takes off. Like you, you write the hunger games mm. for instance, and then suddenly Hollywood calls you up and is like, Hey, we want to make this like, th that's a, that's a path, but it's a, it's a lottery. That, path, that's right? the lottery path. That's struck by lightning path yes. versus yeah. Okay. Versus the other way is like, 
you know, you, you, you ease yourself into the industry. You start talking with writers, you start, you know, you start producing your own writing work and then you start to hear about opportunities. You hear from one of your writer friends that, you know, they, they have a need on their show and, you know, they like you and you have an opportunity to write something and then you write for them and then you have part of the portfolio and then you build yourself up, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I think for you right now, you're writing, which is, I think is great. Like, why not try both? Like maybe start a yeah. Twitter where all you do is you publish those 250 log lines and just become known as the idea person on Twitter. If that's a thing, it might not be a thing. You might publish those 250 log lines. And nobody, nobody, nobody cares. cares, right? But at least you have something you can share when an opportunity comes up and say, oh, yeah, I've been, you know, like, I'd love to come on your uh, show. I've written a couple of scripts. I can do a, uh, a script test or whatever. But also check out my Twitter where I publish episode ideas. And then they can just easily go, oh, this guy's serious. And he's been doing this for a while, even though he's new, you know? Um, so... That's but really I, interesting. I never even considered that there'd be any value whatsoever in just like jotting down like episode ideas or concepts. That's well, there, uh, might, there might not be. I'm just shooting the shit. But I think them. I think in the least. Well, you're making it. You're you're showing that there is a way that it could be valuable, as opposed to saying it's just shit. So that's well, I think oh, in the, I yeah. I think in the least, that if you have something like that, then at least you can show somebody. Like for me. The only reason I have my Instagram is kind of as, as a portfolio of my work. Like I don't post, I post like twice, two or three times a year, but the amount of times that I show my Instagram to other people is tons. Like, <laughs> because I'm always, I'm yeah. using it as a way to show my work, like the pieces that I want to see, because I know everybody has Instagram. So, mm -hmm. and just like everybody has Twitter, maybe there's an opportunity to, like I said, like Mikey Heller he was posting jokes on Twitter and like short comics. And that's how he got noticed. Of course, that's a one in a million chance as well. How many people are posting jokes and stuff on Twitter and never get noticed, for instance? Yeah, absolutely. So, but just the short answer to your question, I think, you know what you want to do? Just talk to people who have already done it and you'll start to learn. They'll give you some tips on exactly where to start tonight or tomorrow. And what if they say, go to school for 10 years? I think if... My opinion is from doing that, if somebody says to take this seriously, you got to go back to school, I would, I would do it because I learned like to, even after I got accepted to school, like I, up until the first month of me being in school, I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't, I'm going to drop out. This is crazy. I'm 30 years old. I'm surrounded by 19 year olds. Like, why am I here? I can learn everything online but I'm so happy I went <laughs> yeah. because you don't know what you don't know until you know uh, it. When, when I, when we started, you asked about the books and I said, I've written three books and two of them I'm proud of. Uh, that is because I had written my first book in my early twenties. And between that and books two and three, I did go back to school. Hey, for writing yeah, you specifically. Mentioned. Right. And it does make a world of difference. I totally agree with you. Uh, it absolutely does make a, it gives a level of confidence that you might not necessarily have had before and yeah. sort of, and having access to algorithms of creation, which a lot of people live by their own. They could invent their own algorithms of creation and just seeing what other people are doing and how they're doing it is, yeah. you know, really inspiring. So it's just, it's, Absolutely fantastic. And by the way, you should do that course again. The pitch, pitching course was 
really enlightening. I and will so, at some point. Yeah, if, absolutely. If you're actually listening to this and you're in Toronto, there's a wait list for the next course, which has been undetermined. So um, at some point it'll happen again. So, but what you just said, I think hits the nail on the head because what I learned from going to school is if, if, if I think I, if I were to pursue animation by myself without going to school, I think I would have had to know exactly what I wanted to do. And th like, I would have been like, I want to do, I don't know, uh, 2D animation video game characters. Like if I knew exactly that's what I wanted to do, then I would just study uh -huh. only that. I would like YouTube tutorial the shit out of it. I would just do all of that. But like school, they expose you to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I was still closed off to doing stop motion in school, but I had a professor who pushed me to do it and I ended up doing it. And that really changed the, my life literally in my career. <clears throat> so I wouldn't have done that if I had done it on my own. But what you just said, you know, you, you're around other super creative people and just learning from them and how they do things and getting the feedback from them on your own things is like so invaluable that you don't have if you're trying to learn on your own. So yeah, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. But then like, I didn't even finish my degree. I, other opportunities came up in the meantime where I, with that I took and I didn't even finish it. So like, say you go back to school for 10 years. It's the dream, man. <laughs> <laughs> How many people would be like dying for that? That's, that's great. But okay, like, but you have to understand the other thing that I had as an advantage going back to school is I already had a degree in business and I've been working in the industry for nearly a decade. So I approached school completely different. Like my professors were the, my, my peers who I'm taking out to coffee, I'm networking, I'm picking their brains. Yeah. I'm like, it was kind of entertaining for me to like, you know, be buddy, buddy with my schoolmates who are like 19, 20, 21. And they're like afraid to talk to the professors who are like my age. And they'd be like, they calling them like, sir or ma'am. And I'd be like <laughs> calling them first name basis. Like it was, it, it's, and, and how you, how I approach school was totally different. I approached it as a career. Like it was a nine to five job for me. Uh, you know, like uh, it was super serious. I was looking for connections, learning about the industry, you know, approaching it as like taking every opportunity that came out of it versus like, you know, when you're a student, the first time you're procrastinating every assignment, you're just figuring out time management. You don't really know how, what your, what expectations are, blah, blah, blah. So like, I, for you as well, if you, when you went back to school for writing, did you not approach it totally differently than if you Absolutely. were coming out of high school again? Absolutely. Like you learn so much more. And I think, you know, I was in school. I was also running the podcast every single week. I was also creating pitches and I was working part-time for this other show, like at the same time. So it, it made sense, I guess, that I didn't finish, end up finishing my degree. <laughs> so but anyways, if somebody, I think you should talk to people who have written for animation, feature films, you'll probably find that they're super interested to chat with you. As I found with this podcast, literally, there's only a couple people that have said no, which is fine to the podcast, but most people that I contact are super happy to chat. And what is the podcast? It's literally, I just jump on a call for an hour and chat with somebody about their life and I pick their brain, but having a podcast makes it seem like super formal and whatever. And there's listeners and audience, but it's literally just connecting with somebody and picking their brain for an hour. Uh, well, I've got a question then. What, what made you think about doing a podcast? It wasn't my idea either. And I didn't want to do it either. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm very resistant to change, I guess, until I do it. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Uh, one of my, one of my, my, my former boss at my, at the software company, actually, he started a podcast about software as a service businesses. So SaaS businesses where he would interview, um, you know, VPs and CEOs about how they grew their companies because he was, he was, he, he now runs a consulting firm. He was starting his, uh, he, he, well, he was the head of growth at our, at our software company, but he started the podcast as a way of learning from them and building his reputation if that makes sense and you know creating some really cool content and he when i first got into animation he was like terry you'd be silly not to start a podcast like i i actually started at the taffy conference that i went to that i saw the pitch competition at because i went and i had no i'd done nothing in animation i was a new student and i was like how can i connect with all these really cool people and not just come off as a dweeb and be like i really like what you do and i've done nothing i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> so he's like he was texting me while i was at the conference he's like literally go up to every speaker after they're done talking and say do you want to come on my podcast and share your career journey and i said i don't want to do it and then by the end of the conference i was in the line of every speaker i was i waited till the very end till everybody had talked to them because i was too embarrassed and uh i asked all of them to come on my podcast and all of them said yes and only two ended up following up with me brett jubinville who runs um oh my goodness tin tin man um which is an animation studio in toronto and fred seibert who at the time was running frederator uh now he's running fred films um and if they didn't say yes i wouldn't have a podcast so wow that's incredible and 170 something episodes later you are like now a, a master of the of the craft i guess that's so really- but it's just i mean yeah there's i've learned a lot about podcasting and hosting and asking questions but it's literally just a chat for an hour with somebody cool like you but to sum up what i've been trying to say reach out to people who've done what you do which what you want to do and just ask them what they did and then take what they say very seriously and then do it because even if it's not your path you will learn more doing some doing something that was their path than trying to figure it out on your own you know what i mean mm-hmm. so <clears throat> if you talk to a head writer or a uh you know a feature film animative writer and they say something like take this course or join this community or you know uh study this book like uh save the cat or something through and through and through you should you should 100 do it like do it to the fullest like life depending on it kind of deal like don't i would say go all in like don't have another option and see where that leads and you'll probably end up further along your career meet new people learn more develop your craft more and you'll be one step closer like eugene right now i think is a very interesting phase he's kind of like in this incubation phase where he's learning he's he's like honing his craft a little bit and discovering what he wants to do and i think when at least what happened with me when i reached the the point of you know i i feel like i've learned enough from where i am at now i have enough connections that i'm getting opportunities then i just you know i quit school and i said you know i think i can learn more by being in the industry where i'm having this opportunity now and I can always come back to school if I want to finish it yeah, up. In absolutely. fact, the, the plan was, as soon as I'm done this opportunity, I'm going to go back to school. Well, here it is the second year later. I haven't gone back to school yet. <laughs> Who knows? I might go back. I might not. I don't know. But um, what happens is this domino effect of mm-hmm. you know, putting yourself in a new situation, learning more, meeting new people. That leads to more. 
et cetera, et cetera. That's, as long as you're keeping your experiences as growth experiences or opportunities, hmm. or, you know, as long as you're always on the concept yeah. of building onto yourself, that, that's, I totally support that. That sounds like you're, you're doing great. Well, it sounds like you too. Like, I think it's, a, I think it's like after writing my pilot script and, 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 and even a novel and whatnot, like writing to me is super daunting. Like to write a feature film, that's incredible. I think that's, I think that you're doing this on your own unprovoked is amazing. That's such a huge task. So I, I think you should, I think you should, you know, <laughs> I would, I would love to, to talk to Eugene in a year and you're like, you know what? I did myself great. I got the script done and we're it's being made into a film now. That would be amazing. That would be a great story. Yeah. I absolutely would come back to tell you that for sure. Yes. You know. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Um, you want to, I know you said your goal is to write for animation, but like, and you mm. also want to bring people along in the journey, but what would success be for you? Because I think success is something very different because success can be, you know, I wrote, I wrote a script and finished it and that's great or i sold it and that's great or it was a blockbuster film or you know now i have a career in writing like what is what is it at the end of the day that you would like you're in this one industry now and you're kind of teasing yourself with getting into something else at the end of the day what what would be success for you well obvious well not obvious uh for me personally i do find myself when i talk to people in the industry i used to be a convention goer i used to love meeting the actors and uh, people who are part of the business and in it i remember distinctly how much uh certain shows and the creators of them uh impacted me or mm. changed my outlook on life and i think that's kind of amazing like even even in terms of just like let's say gaming for instance uh, I, me and my friends played this game called Robotech, right? And it was like about these giant robots and aliens and all this crazy stuff. And then one convention, the guy who brought the game to North America was there. And I realized then that, holy cow, I'd spent dozens of hours playing this game with my friends. I didn't even think that the creator was someone who was alive or would be here, you know, that like <laughs> this, this, it was like completely new to me, right? Like the this idea and then you realize you know what that tv show that you love that movie that you love the person who made it is in a bar right now drinking a coffee and they're thinking about what the next project will be and i would love to be someone who inspires other people uh yeah. in that sense you know where they just suddenly wake up and say whoa that was you that was like incredible it, that like my childhood was based around this like you know that type of like it's not love, but at the same time, it's not idolization. It's a combination of just, just happy moments that accumulate together and you just sort of totally. remember them, you know, it's just, uh, and it happens all the time now, you know, it happens all in the content that we create today. And if we have the ability to do that on, you know, to make a lot of people happy, that that'd be a real great dream right now. Yeah, I love that. I and just hearing you speak, you know, you sing, you sound so passionate about it. I I I think that's an I think that's amazing. I think that's it's like, like I said before, I think it's part of what makes us human is this you know this this storytelling ability to share something that's part of you and have somebody else experience it and and connect with it. I think that's I think that's it's just the best. Yeah, it's just the best. It's the best. <laughs> 
And, and it's, you're right. And like, you know, we live in a time where you don't need $200,000 to get the smallest production off the ground. You can, you can just sit at home with a laptop or even just your phone and create something. And it's amazing. It's uh, like, we are living in an age where that type of fandom and that type of ability to create a genre is starting to speed up quite significantly. Like, uh, what the heck is that? (laughs) Uh, Squid Game. How that that, that just blew up. And then three weeks later, it was like, people forgot about it, right? (laughs) Well, season two is going to come some life back into it. Totally, but totally. Your and, next, your and next that guy I've been sitting on that for how many that, years? Like, yeah, that that's a an amazing story on its own as well. You know, the guy worked on it, pitched it a million times. Yeah, and only on well, obviously the last one that succeeds is the one that succeeds. But still, it's like a heck of a story, you know. And it's it's incredible what what people are able to accomplish now. It's uh, yeah, that's that's the other thing. It's like just everything takes so much time and and like you have because the people who have the money they do not want to take any risks at all they understandably they (laughs) so they're like who are you why would i want this like they would rather take something from somebody who already created something even if it's not the best and produce that which is which is kind of my i don't know it's a quip that i have with kids shows is like i see so many and i'm just like why, why even bother producing this? It's just content to put on the screen that nobody's going to care about as soon as it's done. You know, that's actually a really, that, like, this isn't another podcast entirely, but the concept of needing to have star power as someone who's technically behind the scenes, like nowadays directors are just as famous as the actors. And that is that a future that we have to work towards and we need to make well, we could famous. we could bring uh, up the mario movie mario movie <laughs> if we wanted to talk about star power that we don't feel is necessary to have <laughs> fair fair <laughs> but we'll see how that goes but yeah no i 100 but that's but <clears throat> but i guess that's also what is amazing like you like eugene like you as a as a creator could create something that millions of people see because you just went for it as well. Like, I think that's just as incredible. And yeah, you know, star power, whatever. But there's so many, whenever I talk to studios, they have lately, they've all said something kind of similar is they're looking for more stories to from international and different perspectives. Because everything for the last like 100 years has been an export of uh, like North American white old men type of deal. Mm-hmm. Nothing, you know, I don't think there's plenty of successful stories, plenty of great stories. 100%. And and Absolutely. like we all grew up on that and it was our childhood and it was amazing. But now like, you know, there's so many diverse perspectives in and stories that are coming to light now and people are looking for new creators. Like they want new and different things. So it's if there's a time to be writing right now, it should to be writing it should be now. <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> absolutely absolutely and yeah if you have that spark of wanting to do it you should i definitely would recommend to anyone that they should look into it well and the other thing that i've learned just from pursuing this math path myself is the amount of people who have an idea and dream about pursuing it but don't 
pursue it and don't take it seriously is like a hundred to one. Like the amount of people that have talked to me and said like, oh, I wish, you know, like, like even my own friends, like we talk about this all the time. Like my friends have their own passions, but uh, you know, life situations end up leading them in different scenarios. And, you know, I, I happen to be in a spot in my life where I could take a big risk and quit my job and start over again from scratch. Like I feel very fortunate and, and lucky that I was able to do that. But the amount of people who want to pursue something and then, you know, don't have the right motivation or whatnot is, is huge. So if you, I think hundred percent, if you're already here, you need to go for it hundred percent because the amount of people that are kind of in your spot and aren't going to take it further, like there's a big portion of people like that too. And, and I think it's, I think it's almost easier to end up like that because that's kind of what I did for my whole business career. Like I always had this, oh, one day I'll be an animator. And I was kind of teasing myself with all these like passion projects, but I never pursued it fully. And people would be like, oh, if only, you know, you could be an animator one day. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I do something here and there, but never really see it through. And it wasn't until I really went all in that things changed for me. So mm. I think... I think I think you're in a good place. Even the fact that you wanted to come on this podcast and pick my brain. <laughs> I appreciate this, by the way. <laughs> Instead I... of here, I here I thought I was going to bring you on and talk about like, you know, what are you doing to get into the animation industry? And like, what are your thoughts? And I just ended up rambling the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, you fell for my trap card. This is exactly <laughs> what I was hoping for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I greatly appreciate it, though. Like this uh, understanding where how to approach this is uh i think it's always evolving and it's always changing and totally. uh getting your perspective is i'm hugely thankful for it that's like this has been great that uh, gave me a lot of ideas on, on what i'm been thinking about and how i should be you know reflecting on it so like i, I appreciate this a lot what well, thank you <laughs> <laughs> no problem so what what's next for you what are you going to work on next after this yeah right well I, I would just wanted to follow up on that thought like you know <clears throat> before i got into animation i'm somebody who has a plan and i like i have i have a vision and i'm like this is what i'm going to do and this is the path <clears throat> and also that's why i didn't want to go to animation school and why i didn't want to quit school and blah blah but if anything like the path that i have followed has been nothing at all like what i thought it would be even when I decided to go to animation school, my plan was animation school, get a job, get a, a uh, an internship storyboarding, then start as a storyboard artist in a studio as a junior, and then work my way up to become maybe a showrunner or something like that. Yeah. Well, I went to school and then I quit school. Then I worked on a stop motion production. Then I worked on uh, this other, like my path has been completely never would have expected it so like i'm just saying like there what you said there's no path and it's evolving there is no path and it is evolving and it's just you see an opportunity and you take it like i remember talking with john musker who directed uh great mouse detective little little mermaid moana and a whole bunch of other stuff and he was working at disney as an animator at the time and there came a need to have a director and he was, you know, he was asked to be the director and he, I think he, I think he said he refused at first or something, but it wasn't an expected thing that he aimed to be at. It just kind of was an opportunity that he said yes to that some other people didn't say yes to. And then he ended up becoming, you know, one of the biggest Disney directors of all time. So wow. it's not like he 
was grew up being like i'm going to be a director of disney it's more or less like he followed the opportunities and said yes to them as they came along and that seems to be i've talked to people who are 100 they wanted to be a pixar animator they became a pixar animator i've talked to people who have ended up in amazing things just where they said you know what i took the opportunities as they came and maybe i wanted to be a pixar animator but it ended up being something completely different and i'm totally happy with that so mm. i think the only thing that i've learned is that i i've kind of <clears throat> the mantra that i've kind of been following for my path is that i say yes to and rely on myself i guess if that makes sense okay so i i i try to dig deep and say like what do i really love about what i'm doing and do that and then see how the world responds and gives me opportunities i don't think it's always going to work out but so far a year and a half in i'm super happy with it <laughs> oh that's awesome and, and but also like i didn't have a job well i wasn't pursuing anything but i didn't have a job for five months last year because after I finished up production i said you know i'm gonna take some time off and see what happens nothing happened so i ended up traveling and then when i came back opportunities came again so you know i have i've also been through my amounts of stress and anxiety of being like what am i doing like there's no work coming and no nope, totally understand that wow <laughs> not great because i had you know when you're when you're not working and there's nothing on the horizon you're like well what the fuck am i gonna do but here we are here we are <laughs> no that's great like that's you're embracing the now which is fantastic you're you're taking advantage of what you're doing being able to travel alone is is a gift you know so like that's that's awesome gain, gain some learning perspectives and understanding you know cultures around the world or whatever you whatever you want yeah. uh like that's no that that's that that's great uh it's, so let me ask you this. You know, we've chatted for a while. Um, you've kind of shared my go your goals and where you're at, and you've picked my brain. What are next steps for you? Next steps for me? That yeah. is a very interesting question. Uh, I like to imagine that I'm creating some form of uh, uh, reliability when I, you know, put out some books and people can read the content and say, hey, you know, this is a good story, that type of thing. Uh you know, I remember hearing the story about uh, a, a chef, renowned chef who wanted to start a business. And he, he, his business idea was to create a really good sandwich that people would come back and have that sandwich once a week. Yeah. Right? And that was his entire business model. And, and for me, uh, I want to be able to be consistent with my content, be really good at it, and have people come in once a week for that sandwich. Right. It doesn't have to be super fantastic. It doesn't have to be yeah. a giant movie or a piece or a super, you know, grungy or cutting edge, you know, storyline that'll break your mind. But like, I want people to see my stories and, you know, be fulfilled by them and come back next week. You know, it's just that notion of like, I, I'm at a point in time where I'm not going, I don't want to make one perfect thing. I'm, I really would, would, I'm, combination of i need to constantly improve so it means multiple iterations yeah. multiple times at the wheel you know and so part of my journey next is to continue my improvement self-improvement and trying to develop ideas that i can use to present uh it, it, i've i think i've hit a point in time in my development where i think i'm ready to begin pitching ideas hmm. or at least begin the process of 
pitching ideas. So that might be another year from now, for instance. But the idea of getting used to what needs to be done, getting talking to people, as you just said, like obviously uh, that's probably one of the most important skills to have is to meet people and work with them. You're working with strangers, right? And so being able to create that uh, immediate uh, uh, kinship, you know, on a project yeah. is like, that's, <clears throat> again, another skill to work on. So, so it's like, I, I, have, I have an idea of how I want to get there. I just definitely need to start looking into meeting more people. Well, I'm going to reiterate what you just said, but meeting more people who have succeeded and seeing what, where that goes, right? Yeah. Let me ask, let me ask you this. Okay. So you, I, you said something which is really interesting to me, which I think is very pure is this whole sandwich thing. You just want people to, you know, tune in weekly for something that you wrote and enjoy it. And I think that is amazing. And I, I honestly think if, if that is your goal and you execute it, then you should have no problem getting where you want to be. You know, if, if you become that sandwich that people love. So what's stopping you from doing it right now? You know, like you've well, written some things you've, let me tell you, if I got paid a single dollar for my work, I would probably quit my job, but let me tell you. Like, but, uh, no, yeah, but I mean like, you know, you, you don't know, have to quit your job to do this. No, I'm just, I'm just making a joke out of that. But uh, do you mean like what's stopping me from writing for a show right now or what's stopping me from <clears throat> what's stopping you from being that sandwich right now? Doesn't that, cause like, obviously you're not going to get hired at a show tomorrow. Yeah. But what's stopping you from creating something that other people can enjoy every week? Oh, creating content on like, if, that, if, that's, your, if that's your goal. Uh, that's a very interesting idea. It depends on the level of, see, it's that creative spoons thing again. When you are working, when you're spending your day doing work for one thing and you have your nights and weekends to yeah. uh, work on your own projects. Yeah. It, it becomes, what are you willing to, I guess, put towards it, right? Now, I've got no problem dedicating all my time. You know, I've, I've, I've done some of the things I've put out has taken a lot of time, you know, already. But uh, when it comes to how much are you willing to spend on it? Are you willing to hire five people to do this thing? You know, that type of idea. Then it suddenly becomes, okay, whoa, I can't really afford to hire a musician. I can't afford to hire an, uh, an yeah. artist. So you're, you're thinking of that thing you want to put out as like an animation every, every week. I, theoretically, that would be really cool. That would be really neat to put out a, a regular animation. But uh, I mean, like, you know, if you're, if you're a writer <clears throat> and you're writing and you're writing a script and you also have written, you know, other books and things and you well, have all these ideas. Based on what we just discussed, new ideas might be the thing. What if I just released a script every week? That's a very well, interesting Well, like, yeah, like, it, uh, well, why not? I don't know. Like, I'm just yeah, saying the, 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 if like, you want to become the person that people think of, or not the person, but I'm just saying like, if you want to give people something that they can enjoy every week, then just do it, right? Like, I don't know. That's interesting. Like you could even, you could even, I don't know, release your script through, well, Twitter is an easy example. Like, I don't know if people read super long things there, but why not? Or uh, there are writing competitions every single week. You could just write something. You can get I've it. I've been trying that. Oh, you could publish a blog. 
where you update it once a week or I don't know, just, I guess if, I guess if the goal is like, even, you know, you could even, if you have rudimentary drawing skills, you could start a comic with your, your stuff. See, okay. So Oh, I'm opening a can of worms. With this we're gonna. I guess. I guess all I. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not. I'm not telling you what to do. I guess. No, no, no. I, I guess it, I'm just saying, like, what is stopping you from? I know. I know you're. You know, you're in kind of the information and education phase, or reaching out to people. You're learning about stuff, which I think is fantastic and super well needed. But what's stopping you from also, or just learning through doing as well? So, okay. When like even you to... said it would take you a year. Here, I keep cutting you off. You said it would take you a year to get comfortable <laughs> with pitching. Why not just create a pitch right now? Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what? That I can see myself doing right away. I could see myself attempting that. Like, yeah, like the Ottawa festival is coming when... up. Why not submit something to it? I should start looking up the festivals. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Or just yeah, anything. Like there's nothing stopping you from creating a pitch and then just pitching it to studios. You could literally contact any studio in Toronto, at least tomorrow and say, Hey, you want to set up a meeting? I have a pitch and then create a pitch for it. Now you have said that your experience is that you've talked to almost every studio out there. How has your experience been? It sounds like that's something you've done. It has, it is something <laughs> I've done and it's been great. You know, um, there's no barriers to emailing a company and saying, I have a pitch. Fair. And if they take pitches, they'll, they'll, they'll listen to it or they'll, they'll, um, what usually happens is they will, uh, they'll, they'll have you sign an NDA, mm -hmm. which just basically says like, you're not going to sue them if they develop something similar or have something similar. They have no obligation to, um, to actually create what you're going to pitch them. You have no prior relationship. You're having no future relationship unless you sign into something and what you're creating is hundred percent. Just an, it's just a thing to protect their asses basically right. and not protect yours. <laughs> um, so they have you sign that. And then once you sign it, you send them the pitch and then they'll take it. And then if they also, sometimes they want you to pitch in tandem of giving it to you, or sometimes they just take it and look at it and have you pitch it later. Or sometimes they just take it and look at it and say, thank you. So there's absolutely nothing stopping you from doing this at all. And I mean, even the pitch that you created with the, you know, the bubble tea versus the coffee kingdoms, why not just, you already have something half started. Why not just finish it up and then push it out there? All I'm saying I, here, I'm pressuring you to do this, but I think I honestly think at least from my experience, and this is kind of the way I learn is you will learn so much more through pressuring yourself to go through this high anxiety, personal heartstring thing, uh, then I think you will learn from studying how to do it, I guess, if that makes sense. Like my first pitch was this, like, I did not pitch it in the conventional way at all. And, mm -hmm. and thankfully it stood out because of that. And I learned so much more through going that, through that experience that now I'm trying to use all of that to level up myself with my pitching. <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. Okay. So in terms of writing for animation, okay, let's, let's, let's look at, let's dive into that for a moment again. Uh, is, is animation looking for a particular type of story uh, that is, I don't know how to phrase this properly. Uh, like 
a writer could theoretically write a movie that is both animation or live action, you know, like however, which way you want to look at it. But is it just your ability to give the vision that makes an animation more significant? Or are you, is that, when you read a, when you read a pitch for Dan for shows yeah, and yeah. you've, you, you stuck strictly with animation in mind, yeah. were you thinking about the medium is what I'm trying oh, to focus on, yeah. right? Yeah. And when you, when you think about the medium itself, uh, is there something that you had in mind? Is there a particular concept that you had in mind? Yeah, um, I I, th I personally think if you're not thinking about the medium, then why? Like, what's the point? Like, uh, <clears throat> I think I think yeah, for sure you can create something live action or CG or animation mm -hmm. or stop motion with any story, but like, you can do things with 2D that you can't do with live action. So that should be part of the story. Otherwise, yeah. it would just be a live action film, I guess. Or like, you can do things in stop motion that you can't do in 2D. So that should be part of the reason. Like with the Silly Duck Wizard, an element that I try to get across is like, this is for preschool kids who can literally make these characters. And also if it's merchandise, they can buy these characters and create their own stories in stop motion, which is the first entry point of learning about film for any kid. And so I, and I wanted the text, like I wanted the Silly Duck Wizard to be highly texturized, like felt, plasticine, like shiny paper, so that it came across that this is like an actual real thing that when a kid is watching it, they understand that this is real and not like 2D, which is, you know, it's, it's real 2D, but it's not something that physically exists in the world. So I wanted to create something that merged their experience with crafts and playtime with what they're seeing on screen so that's why i'm in it stop motion specifically but with waste world you know i want to have like crazy mutants and go to space and go under the earth and all this like fa fantastical sci-fi stuff that you know it can only be done in i guess it can be done in cg but that would be crazy expensive mm. so 2d is 2d is the medium so i think if you're asking like if you're, are you thinking of writing a generic script and just seeing if it can go live action or 2D or something like that? I was actually, see, that was one of the concepts I was trying to balance in my mind because when I'm thinking about like, okay, I want to tell a great story, sure. And I have like a bunch of ideas and then I have to think, okay, I need to think in terms of how much would this cost, right? And when I think yeah. of terms like that, then it becomes this, all right, uh, need to, you know, maybe we'll have less explosions or maybe we'll have less guns or less whatever. Some, you know, I'm just, you know, well, I don't think you, that. I don't, I don't think you should ever write with cost in mind, you know, like game of Thrones or star well, Wars game, game. wouldn't have been written at all. If cost was in mind, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that's a, that's a decision I'm, a producer would make 20 years from now when it's, yeah. when it's not 20 years, but down the line, like I would, I would uh, promote writing, with the truest story intent. And if it calls for an explosion, oh, absolutely. make an explosion. And I, I would also propose writing with the medium in mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like I think if you wanna make an animated 2D film, write an animated 2D film. Really Don't cool. write a film that can be live action or 2D animated, depending on who might pick it up. Because I don't, cause like, you know, getting something picked up is like winning the lottery essentially. So I think yeah. you should just write the thing in its truest form and it'll probably succeed, have a better chance of succeeding if you write it for what it's intended for than if you write it for multiple versions, just hoping somebody will pick it up, I guess. 
Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, I understand. Like the, the idea of like having a final vision is obviously the biggest part of it mm-hmm. when you're when writing it. So that totally makes sense. I was just wondering how, like theoretically, you could be really flexible with that. You could, yeah, but like, theoretically, I, right? I think. I think. I mean, I'm not a writer, so don't get me wrong. But at least from like what I've learned in my business experience and what I've learned from my animation is like, write the thing that it's meant to be for the people and the thing it's meant to be and let execution figure it out. You know, if you write a super fantastical live action film and it's like the best thing ever, somebody's going to see it and go, oh, my God, this has to be made. But we're an animation company we'll figure it out or vice versa, you know, like Hmm. let the, let the, let the execution figure out how it's going to be executed, but write the thing that it should be like, for instance, like Harry Potter was never written for movies. It was written to be a super fantasy children's, uh, you know, fantasy land. And then Hollywood was like, Oh shit, we should take this and adapt it to live action because that's going to, that's going to be the biggest blockbuster hit that we can sell this merchandise and you know we can have child stars and we can do super amazing cg and push the boundaries of that and make it this high budget thing but also if you read the books and watch the films there's a huge disconnect with you know the magic that happens in the not a huge disconnect but there's so much more that happens in the books that the films just can't can't justify you know so write write the thing it's going to meant to be and don't even don't even think about the execution I think just focus on the sandwich, like just entertaining somebody. And if you entertain people, other people are wanting to take that and capitalize on it and make money off of it too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> it is a business, nonetheless. Business is, is still business. part of the- yep. it. Is so. a business. Wow. Wow. Well, so Eugene, we've talked about a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry for completely derailing your podcast here. No, it's fine. This is this has been super interesting for me. You know, I like talking about this stuff at the end of the day, and I never get interviewed, so I'm super happy. I just hope that you're happy, and I don't know. It's it's interesting for me to chat with you because I was in your shoes just a couple of years ago. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will definitely be working on this and uh a couple months year whatever i'll gladly give you an update oh please uh, give me a weekly update (laughs) hey (laughs) maybe that'll be the show if that (laughs) helps maybe that'll be the sandwich we'll see we'll We'll see yeah well maybe maybe we should wrap up things a little bit i'm just wondering is there any are there any topics or things that you you thought you wanted to share or that we haven't touched on yet at all uh my Book series is on Amazon. It's yeah. called Star Delivery and Star Delivery Mission 2087. Uh, put a lot of love and faith, a lot of love into that. Uh, a lot of people worked on it, you know, as well. So it's uh, take a look. Uh, my Instagram is uh, uh, Eugene's Eugene eats that, where I take pictures of food, and so I have a, a sometimes sandwiches, sometimes sandwiches. So, well, you did the promos that I was going to do at the end, but I guess oh, maybe, yeah. maybe let me ask you one final question. You know, somebody's listening to this right now and they're not at, even at your stage of, you know, learning about stuff or whatnot. What advice would you tell them if they're thinking about getting into writing for books or animation or, or TV? What would you tell them if they're listening? 
definitely take the, take some time to create favorites, uh, find out, find content, you know, books, other writers, other, you know, stories that uh, speaks to your heart yeah. and try to understand what your heart wants to say. Right? Yeah. Because that is, once you get that in, internal motivation going, uh, that will give you the, the defense, the thick skin that comes with the criticism that will come when you put stuff out. And that will always happen. Criticism is part of the game, part of the journey. And so you have to have your, uh, your own inner stars to guide the way. And that's, uh, that's definitely, you know, it starts within yourself. So, you know, finding who you are is part of it. I love that. And that's, I think that's really strong and special advice. Um, and I wish we talked about that a little bit more, but I think, I think that's super great. And I've never heard anybody kind of put it that way. Cause I'll, everybody says you have to know how to handle criticism, but what you just said is the way to handle criticism, you have to handle it, but to know your true self and what you're trying to say. And I think that's super important. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, I think that's why a lot of creators do what they do. Yeah. Right? And yeah. they, people tell amazing stories. They talk in front of millions of people, you know, they, they inspire yeah. equal numbers of people. That's fantastic. Right. So. Well, well, Eugene, it seems like you're you're on a super interesting journey, and I'm really I'm really happy we chatted and and that we met, and I'm super excited to see what you come. I already think it's great that you published three books and you're learning everything you can about this industry. I think that's fantastic, but I'm also excited to see what you come up with. So, stay in touch, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been thank my you, pleasure. yeah. Thank and if you're listening, and I'll just plug your stuff again. If like Eugene said, you know, you can check out his books. Um, he's got the star delivery series, which has, uh, it's in two books now, and I'll include links to that and his Instagram in the description of this chat. And thank you so much for listening. That's all for now. Okay. Bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.